in the past, and I hope in the future too, um, the guy who just made the announcements was pretty infamous for making announcements that could be pretty wild and woolly. Uh, very exciting. He and his uh, other cohorts managed to do something. But how he read the Scripture this morning was probably pretty accurate. It's pretty difficult to read through the book of Revelation and read it in a funny way. It just doesn't match. The content is so intense, so challenging, that for us to to treat it as anything less than a, a portion of the most in, important words that God could present would be disrespectful. Today, uh, on your bulletin, I think I've already... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not one who enjoys having a lot of uh, inserts. I try to minimize, but I think it still didn't quite come out as uh, nicely as we would like. And we're working on the bulletin these days, trying to make it better. But one of the first things I said in there on the front page was basically... I didn't know that we were going to end up uh, sticking with the book of Revelation until I really began to feel like God wanted us to give this a try. Now, there's a difference in doing a, 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 a biblical study of Revelation or doing sermons on Sunday morning. Our goal, obviously, is to allow the Scripture to teach us to apply the Word of God to our lives. We want something practical. And yet, as we look at Revelation, we're going to see quite a bit of teaching, quite a bit of challenge, quite a bit of history, only it's the reverse side, because it's talking about prophecy and what will be coming before us. I know, I know, you're a very special congregation. I'm sure that when you were ten years of age, when Christmas came around and your parents said, well, it's time for Christmas gifts, you probably were ones who said, you know, oh boy, I sure hope you give me socks and underwear. You wouldn't have dared say you wanted just toys. And I'm sure, you know, at, at, at the dinner table when, when mom said it's time for dinner that you were never thinking about things like ice cream or those, those types of things. You, you were really excited. Oh boy, here comes the cabbage and the broccoli. You know, but I will have to confess that I was a little bit more the other way. And so sometimes I, I struggled with uh, what was the best thing for me. When we study the Bible, I guess we find some wonderfully encouraging and exciting news if we can learn to focus on God and not focus on ourselves, on what's good and what we think is good. The reality is that there are some hard words that we're going to be looking at. You know, chapters 1 and 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation are all ones that are talking about great news, church. There's going to be a good day coming. And then, of course, when you get into chapter 7, even a more exciting chapter for the church. And it's saying, good news. You're not going to have to suffer all of the difficulties that are coming to the world. And Jesus is coming again. Life is good. But the Scripture also shows us a righteous God. And the righteous God here shows that wrath, anger, 
punishment are things that are reasonably given to those who reject His love and His care and His direction for life. In chapter 6, what we have just read, we have seen how some of the seals of the scroll that we found in earlier chapters, in chapters 4 and 5 as we were moving along, we saw, we heard about the scroll that was in heaven and how Jesus was in the midst of the, of the group. And, but there were seals and no one could open the scrolls and have a look with what's on the inside except the good news came along eventually, Jesus could. So we begin to see the opening of the seals in chapter 6. When I was in, you know, if you'll notice the title of our, our sermon today, you know, there are a lot of imitations in life. Things that look, you know, I mean, I've been living in China. I promise you, I've seen imitations beyond your belief of almost anything. And it looks great. It even had the right chop on it. That may have been misspelled, but it was there. You know, there was always a chop to say it was genuine. But when I was in high school, I had a classmate named J.D. And it was not J. period D. His name was actually J-A-Y-D-E-E. I have no idea where his parents came up with that, but most uh, creative. And uh, J.D. was very charismatic. Now, I'm not saying he was uh, uh, charismatic in the sense that he had a lot of those special gifts. I'm saying he drew people to him. He had that kind of personality that people liked to follow. And he, would, he had some great skills at sharing about Jesus. And he was quite a good speaker. And I always wished that somehow I could have had those same gifts that he seemed to have. Man, he could go out and we... He was the president of our Youth for Christ organization, very similar to something like Campus Crusade. He was the president of that organization, was a leader there. We were, he and I were involved in doing what they call weekend missions, and we would go and travel together and do different kinds. Of, he was very involved in feeding the poor and, the, and dealing with the home, uh, homeless people. Everyone thought he was just destined for some amazing ministry. He went off to a Christian university and everyone said, well, there he goes. But my second year in university, I was contacted by a friend. and I was in a different school. A friend contacted me and he said, you know, uh, J.D. is now recanting his faith. He is claiming that uh, everything was a sham. He says he's no longer a Christian and he's dropped out of school. He was an imitation Christian. He had learned the right words. He had learned how to get up in front of people and make them excited. He could sing the songs. He could lead the guitar for his worship group. He was amazing in what all he was able to do, but he was still not genuine. The challenge I think that you and I have for ourselves, if we're going to be effective and happy and joyful with our lives, is to evaluate, am I for real? Is there anything fake 
about what I say my faith is. Today we need to be thankful for those Christians who have walked before us. As an ex-missionary myself, that was one of the things that we often talked about was that we walk in steps based on those who walked before us. We move forward in our service because of what those before us have done. VCBC, with 45 years of history, we are here because of those who have walked before us, who have had issues and challenges and struggles and still managed to make it past all of those little issues and have the church continue to go forward. We need to be appreciative of what those people have done. We can be thankful for the love of God and His patience with us daily. God's provided us many opportunities for people to know Him by using us. The details of what the lost world will endure in the future and the rejection of God's protection and care may be emotional and strongly disturbing even as we look at the book of Revelation. It is not a book of comfort in that sense. The scenes of the destruction of the earth are terrible. We can only imagine in our dream life how bad some of these things will be. As we study, we'll see some about Satan's man, the Antichrist, and his rise to power. As we look through the seven seals, the world becomes a battle zone. And we only are beginning when we go through seal 1 to 6 as we look at chapter 6. Because it's going to get much worse. And there are many more details to come. When we look at the Middle East today, you and I tend to look and say, boy, I wouldn't want to live in that place. It looks like a bombed out area that it would be just dangerous each and every day. And the answer is yes, it is. But according to the Scripture... They've not seen very much yet. That means it's going to get worse. So what you can think of as the worst things in our world today are going to be outdone in the future. I remember the first time that I was involved in earthquake relief, working in both China as well as Taiwan. I saw buildings that were destroyed. I saw people that were their bodies were hanging outside of buildings and we had to come and help get them out. I thought, I've never seen anything like this. This is the worst devastation possible. Now think about it for a moment. There's a little country named Haiti. They've had some problems. Indonesia, tsunami. They've had some problems. Japan. The Scripture says it's going to get worse. When I was younger, uh, I had a friend that used to say, pardon me for this, by the way, this is something I I don't use this vocabulary very often. Well, never. (laughs) But he used to make the comment, he would say, wow, that scared the hell out of me. My friend wasn't a Christian, but he loved to use that term. Wow, it just scared the hell out of me. Today, brothers and sisters, 
as we look at this Scripture, it ought to scare the hell out of us. When you look at the book of Revelation, it is so frightening, so serious, that to treat it with anything less than deep respect is is incorrect. The challenge is to say the non-Christians in our world deserve an opportunity to follow Jesus. They deserve an opportunity to avoid the hell that I'm talking about. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 begins with the story where it's presenting the white horse. The white horse, again, as we talked about the title of the sermon, it started off simply saying, imitation versus genuine. The white horse normally, now again, you didn't grow up exactly with the same background as myself, but I'm one of those little American boys that grew up watching television. Yes, they had television even when I was a young child. I know, I know. You see the white horse? Yeah, some of you doubt that. It's true. I was alive and that television was there. And on the television, I used to watch the, the cowboys. We, we used to love to watch those. The, the, watch, now, I'm not talking about the, the football team. I, I like to watch those today. But back then, I was watching the cowboys, you know, and they'd be banging their guns, and they'd be shooting at each other, and be riding on the horses. The guy who was wearing a white hat or riding a white horse was nearly always a good guy. Well, when you look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the white horse comes on the stage. And in every way, it's a great imitation of what Christ would be coming in town to do. Because we can find examples in Scripture that look very much like this when Christ entered a city. Of course, it was a donkey from what most of us think of. But if we remember, we can picture that Christ would be like this. Well, the imitation is real. But we begin to see what the world will be like under the Antichrist. Because indeed, this is the Antichrist we're dealing with. The first notable event of a seven-year tribulation is the arrival of the Antichrist. And we're going to be talking about the seven-year period of tribulation, of struggles and this kind of thing, and the church being raptured in the middle of that experience. But that will come, not right this moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of Christ, the day in which Jesus returns to establish his kingdom, shall not come, except first there be a falling away. And that man of sin being the Antichrist, will be revealed. The son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called of God. Again, bad days are coming first. You know, we love to think our world is going to get better. Everything's going to get... Even the price of oil, some of us are saying, oh, at least I can fill my gas up a little less expensively. But realistically, when we look at the overall picture, we better prepare ourselves. This one is the Antichrist, the imitation. 
He is also called the son of perdition. Listen to these names. The lawless one, the beast, the wicked one, man of earth, enemy, violent man, king of Babylon, Lucifer, son of the morning, and the angel of the bottomless pit. He appears like Christ. He enters on a white horse wearing a crown, but he is the opposite of Christ. For the crown that he wears is not the crown of Christ. Daniel 8, verse 23 says, In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet, he will ultimately be destroyed, but not by human power. There is joy in there for the church to know ultimately God will clean the slate. He will make a decision to do that which is necessary to get rid of it. However, first we will see difficulties that are beyond our understanding. His symbols as we look in Revelation 6, 1 and 2 are the bow and the crown. The bow showing his ability to use force. A crown shows his success in convincing people to follow him and give power and authority. His plan is to gain position, but indeed, not all nations will follow him. And those that don't follow him, ultimately he has a plan for using his power to force that to occur. So when we look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, The difficult news is, yes, there's going to be a day when the Antichrist is here. Life is not going to always be smooth, and we shouldn't expect that. Moving on to the second seal, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, war. We've all heard, this is the war to end all wars. This is the one that will be the battle that will help us to move forward. But even people who love to fight, and battle for their rights, are smart enough to never push attention toward that fact. They always say, oh, I'm doing it for peaceful purposes. People know how to communicate and draw other people to support them. Personally, I grew up toward the end of the Vietnam War. When I finished high school, I knew that I was going to go to Vietnam. Why did I know that? We have a draft system in America. I was number 43. At that time, the lowest number that they were uh, using all the way up to 118. So I was a sure thing. There was going to be a day I was going to Vietnam. I had many of my friends that had already packed up and had to leave. But I, like most people at that point, went on to college first. Well, the understanding was you would go to college, finish your university, and then you would go. So that was my path. But for me, 
while I was in my university years, the Vietnam War ended. So I never had to go. Vietnam was full of bloodshed and violence. One of my friends, one of the missionaries that I served with for many, many years in Hong Kong, had spent several years in Vietnam. And one day we were walking down the streets in Hong Kong and he said, oh! and I, uh, he said, I remember that. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you have to understand. We came on R&R, rest and relaxation, to Hong Kong from Vietnam. And he said, believe me, I was not a Christian at that time. The places that I went, the things that I saw of Hong Kong, and what I see and feel and experience today, totally different. He said, I don't ever see anything I remember. Because I never get in those areas where I came with the other sailors and soldiers. War is a horrible thing. But we can expect that we're going to hear and see more of it. This is what we can expect for the future as the red horse comes. The peace that he has so astutely bargained for instead is what he wants to have he will take from the earth. For me, Vietnam represents a time that I can remember friends of mine who died as well as a time when America was totally divided. I grew up in a time where to listen to music meant to listen to protest songs. We, nearly any song you heard was a protest song of some sort against war. People get confused about war, but it really doesn't matter in the future what people feel about war because according to the Scripture of God, it's coming. So we have a choice. We either prepare ourselves and accept reality or we live in denial. The third seal, the black horse. Chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Famine. He carries a balance, a symbol of the marketplace. A measure of wheat. He talks about the food and how, how valuable the food will be. A measure of wheat is the amount needed for a family for one meal. A penny at the time of Christ represented a whole day's wage. Oil and wine were luxuries. We live in a world where businessmen are seen as a responsible position or seen as a responsible position in work. But there will be a day when trade and bartering may be basic tools just simply to stay alive. The black rider brings worldwide inflation where money will become worthless. Hmm, I know for some of us who are being paid in Canadian dollars, we um, have questions about that already as we watch our, our money going up and down in comparison to other places. But it does make us spend our money in Canada. Maybe that's a good thing. Food prices will skyrocket. And the people will line up to buy a meal for their family. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, seal number 4, death. Now, death relates to all we've seen above because we've seen war and famine. We can expect that it's going to get more and more serious. Everywhere that he rides, men will die. 
man will die. One-fourth of the earth's population, according to the Scripture. You know, civil war, riots, violence, murder will all be seen as normal in those days. I've seen some of these same movies that some of you have where we have someone who comes and, or maybe it's a meteor from outside. You know, it's usually what we think of as science fiction. The science fiction stories of the future may very well be minor stories in comparison to the reality of what, according to Revelation, we will be seeing. In Ottawa, in New York, we've seen people with guns, we've seen bombs, in Vancouver, a place of peace, we've seen people who have done things that are unacceptable and beyond our belief. And yet the pale horse, the pale horse of death will bring things that are unlike anything we have seen or experienced in the past. The beasts of the earth, God is telling us that the world will become a savage place. To live like where beasts live. It will be an existence goal. Many will die without Christ, and instead of peace that they had been hoping for at some point, they will spend eternity in hell. You know, we tend to think, well, when you die, at least you get beyond the difficulties of this world. But you and I know, according to the Word of God, that is still not the case. Eternity in hell is what is emphasized under the pale horse to remind us it's not temporary. They'll be divided from God and from family. Eternal punishment and suffering. Why would anybody choose not to follow Christ? He is the only hope. You and I use that word. Do we really believe it? Only in Jesus is there true hope. If we believe that, how could we possibly not be motivated to take the time and the risk of sharing Jesus with people who don't necessarily wait and say, please tell me about Jesus? You know, so often we function with this mentality that I will tell someone about Jesus if they ask. What do we do when they don't ask? We've got people who work all over China, Christian workers. How do they go to China? Do they wait until the Chinese government says, we're now giving missionary visas to request you to come in and tell us about Jesus? The answer is no. They try to use their skills, their gifts, their ability to legally go in using another way, another form to get through the door and then still continue to tell people that Jesus is the answer. Jesus loves you. Jesus gives you hope. You don't have to face the future that we know about here. That's the kind of way we've got to learn to think. VCBC must become a missionary church in every sense if we're going to really be the church of Christ. Seal number five. Redeemed are needing patience. The martyrs, the people who have died, they are simply asking reasonable questions. They are saying, 
How long do we have to wait? You know, it's been unfair. We followed Christ. We have died in His name. When does, is justice coming? All of the Christians will have been removed from the earth at the time of the rapture, which we'll be talking about when Christ removes the church. We will see in chapter 7 this reality. Yet, those slain for the Word of God are asked to be patient in everything. And it's still in God's hands. You know, there is a, a time in there where it says that there will be people, even in those days, ones who were left behind, who will be listening to what the Antichrist is presenting and will eventually begin to say, what he's saying is garbage. You see, not all non-Christians don't have a, they're not all people with no brain or inability to reason. There is a point where many of them will begin to ask themselves, is there any possibility that maybe some of those Bibles that are still sitting around, maybe that stuff that's in there is real. You know, it, one of the questions I remember that some of us used to discuss was, how about those people that are imitation Christians? They have the knowledge they may be left behind. They may not be part of the rapture, but they, they very much when seeing all of this happening around them, may very well begin to reflect and say, oh my word, it was real. It was always real. I just didn't quite get it. Maybe my friend J.D. will step forth at that time and say, I already knew all that. I used to teach. I used to preach it. Maybe I need to do something. Maybe I need to repent and just confess that indeed Jesus is Lord. Martyrs. People who are killed for their faith. Why do we as Christians not expect that our society today will be any different? whether it's the law school at TWU and it's being able to open or not, the sin of uh, talking about Christ in a public school at Christmas time. I call it the sin you noticed. Or maybe a Christian saying that premarital sex is against the expectation of God. You say that in front of your friends and people kind of smirk and laugh because they've seen so many movies that prove that was not true. We must realize that we are different from our world. And the world doesn't like it. When you stand up, people think you're strange. To remain faithful to your beliefs and be sound in your dependence in the Holy Spirit's ability to guide your path requires patience. These martyrs were saying, isn't there some way that justice can come now? But they're told... Be patient. The day will come. According to Scripture, what we see today is nothing compared to the future. Then we look at day number 6, or seal number 6. Seal number 6, verses 12 to 17. This is clearly the day of wrath. Now, everything we've built up to here has already been bad enough. Should have been scary enough. Should have already scared the out of us. Here, it says it's a day of wrath. 
The earth will quake and reel like staggering of drunkard. Meteors will battle the earth and batter it in great ways. Every island and mountain will be moved out of its place. A day of total chaos, unbelievable violence. Men will pray, but they won't be praying to God. Somehow they will know that the day of grace will have passed them by. They will be saying, oh, please, somehow get us out of this. There are going to be some who are not willing to ever repent. You can't force them. I can't force them. You can give them all that you want to give them, and they still will never actually humble themselves at that level. The description of the day is terrible. It doesn't present the God that we like to hear about. Now, I know that most people love to hear about how God is a loving God. That is true. God is a loving God. You know, I've never heard Billy Graham get up and preach a sermon talking about God not being a loving God. But I have heard Billy Graham get up and preach about God being just. God being fair. When you preach that sermon, it's a harder sermon. He is a loving God. But He's a righteous and fair God. We prefer a loving God, but a righteous and fair God who has reached a point where He wants to reward the faithful and be rid of those who treat Him like trash is not what we have been taught to consider. I remember learning a term back many years ago, righteous indignation. Because I always heard people say, I'm so angry, or I'm so mad about this. And then someone began to use this word, they said, oh, that's just righteous indignation. If it's in the church, it's righteous indignation. But you know, there is some accurate usage of that term. Because righteous indignation refers to a type of anger that simply can bear no more disgrace or disrespect. I used to think that God was only got mad at people. You know, when we think about Jesus at the temple and suddenly He finds people in there doing business. He didn't like it. He said, that's not what this temple's for. That's not what we come together for. He got frustrated with them. He got angry at them. He threw them out. It was righteous indignation. He couldn't bear to be with sin. He couldn't live with it and feel comfortable. He could be around sinners. When he went with purpose and plan and desire and care and love, those things, he could be around sin. He understood sin. But to sit in the midst of it and say, doesn't matter, most all I. No, he couldn't put up with that. It was always important. I eventually learned that this term, righteous indignation, was a type of righteousness that, no, that uh, to no longer be able to swallow evil deeds in the habits of those around us. Chapter 6 is written to you and written to me. They're written to remind us that God does care about His people and wants to see people find His love. For if this is not the choice, His fair and righteous behavior, is to come in the form of wrath. He will not have patience forever. So has this Scripture been strong enough for you today? If you're a follower of God, it should be a motivator to action in sharing Christ with others. 
In Joel chapter 2, I want to read a final conclusion with uh, some Scripture. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. May have it on screen. Yeah, we do have it on screen. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and of blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never. Don't know what just happened, but I'll go back to my Bible if we do. Okay. Maybe not? Okay. Such as never was in the ancient times, nor ever will be in the ages to come. Then also in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 13, before them the earth shakes. The heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of the army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys His command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. And notice, it's great and it is dreadful. Who can endure? Rend your heart. Who can endure it? Rend your heart. Uh, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Next week we will continue on. We will look at another seal. But as we've looked at the first six seals, I hope we will have allowed God to say to us, righteousness does not mean naivety. A righteous God, the God we follow, is not naive. He knows who we are and He knows what truly is our motivation. Let us be challenged. Let us be encouraged. Not that we are just safe and secure, but that we've got a message to give to others because we love and care about them. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You this day giving You praise that You are righteous, We recognize that you've always had the right to punish us for our sins, our indiscretions, our unwillingness to allow you truly to be the Lord of our lives. We in this room are unsuccessful in allowing you to be the Lord of our lives. Father, for that, we ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would give us more strength and more courage to face the days that come before us, and that we might be witnesses before all that You are Lord. In Jesus' name.